If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of this week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast for December 3rd. 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. This hour number two will be different than most. Usually we're joined by a guest. We were scheduled to be joined by a very interesting guest this week, but uh, that will not be happening. I'll explain why later in this hour, which you will find (laughs) to be (laughs) most fascinating, I believe. Uh, but there's several things I also wanted to talk about, which I did not have time to because there's just so much news this week that uh, I found to be of a particularly uh, compelling fashion, and some of which I've actually been involved with in a, in a pretty direct way. And I'm sure that a lot of people who have followed my career have been very curious about what I would have to say about Matt Lauer's sudden firing. Well, I wrote a very extensive uh, column for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, about Matt Lauer's firing. And, and the basics of it are that I think there's a very different side to this story than what we're being told publicly. And I'm somebody who has had a lot of interaction with Matt under some pretty heavy-duty circumstances. Uh, I get into detail in the column, but basically, you know, I've done three major interviews with him on the Today Show under exceedingly difficult circumstances, all three of them. Uh, you know, he has done me no favors in a lot of ways. In fact, it's funny because when he got fired uh, this week, uh, there were some people on Twitter who remembered that uh, the last time I was on the Today Show, Matt Lauer declared very nicely my career to be dead because of my work trying to get to the truth of the Penn State Sandusky Paterno situation. And by the way, I agree with him. In fact, he was basically quoting me when he did it. He was very nice about it, and I understood it. I, that was part of what I understood the situation to be, that I, I knew the repercussions of taking that story on as toxic as it is and as against the conventional wisdom as my view of it is, which is what the truth would dictate. I knew that there would be that kind of repercussion. But it was funny that and ironic that Lauer would say that on the Today Show, and then have his own career effectively be destroyed in the same realm. It's different, but it's obviously within the same realm of this whole issue of sex abuse. 
And uh, so it's not like I have any great love for the guy. I mean, the guy's declared my career dead on national television, again, in the nicest way possible. Uh, you know, he's done a few things that I was not happy with, uh, both on the air and off, and I've let him know that. Uh, I don't think he's the worst uh, when it comes to the media. I mean, I've, I've been done wrong by a lot of media personalities. He's not the worst. Uh, and, in, and in one particular situation, uh, he actually indicated, you know, by his actions that he's at least a person of some character. And this is going to sound, you know, I don't know, you can make of it what you want as far as whether it's a weird story or what have you. But, um, you know, I'll never forget that the second time I went on the Today Show, which was in March of 2013, it was a very, very uh, dicey set of circumstances. And I, I made a big mistake of many that I have made in this whole fiasco. But this one was one of, I guess, naivete and, and ignorance and overconfidence. Because when I had done the, the Jerry Sandusky interview in prison, what I did was I, I contacted Matt Zimmerman, who was the, uh, the lead booker for Matt Lauer and much of NBC at that time. He was in the process of becoming the lead booker for all of NBC. And uh, he was obviously very interested in the story. And we set up a conference call with me and Matt Lauer and, and him. And Matt remembered me from my previous appearance, debuting my documentary film, Media Malpractice, back in 2009. And he and I had, had you know, butted heads on the air that day. So, you know, we knew each other a little bit. Anyway, long story short, uh, he was very excited to have me on to discuss the Sandusky interview and play clips from it. And, you know, had no hesitation whatsoever. And so stupidly, in retrospect, I thought this was going to be a normal situation where I would have, you know, actually the freedom to say what I, what I knew to be true. And, and one of the things I was going to do was I was going to reveal the name of the key person in the whole case at that time, so-called victim number two, a guy by the name of Alan Myers, who never testified at trial and he, because he had totally exonerated Sandusky in the so-called Mike McQueary episode. And so I did a pre-interview with one of the producers at NBC. And I don't even think this person was very high up on the food chain. And because of that, I was overconfident. I should, I should have never even gone where I did, it was stupid. I can't believe I did this in retrospect. But my inclination is always just to tell the truth. And I told this person that, yeah, I was going to say the name Alan Myers. And she went bananas. She immediately goes right back to NBC Today, and she's ringing every you know, alarm bell she possibly can. And there was talk of torching the entire appearance. Now, NBC had a problem because they had already started promoting the appearance on air. But over that weekend, I was going to appear on a Monday. They started promoting it on a Friday. And I think on a Saturday, I had another conversation with Matt Zimmerman where they're like, you know, we're not sure we're going to be able to do this anymore. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I, mean, I have every right to say this guy's name. He wrote editorials in the newspaper defending Sandusky in his own name as an adult. He's a He's effectively a public figure on this case. So, uh, but logic and facts mean nothing in this, in this realm. And anyway, long story short, incredibly long story short, I'll just give you the shorter version of this. So at every stage 
They still want me to do the interview. They still want me to come to New York. But at every stage, they're changing the story on me. They're curtailing me just a little bit more. Like, for instance, I get from Los Angeles to New York. Uh, I, um, they meet me at dinner that Sunday night. They change the story again. And I'm curtailed a little bit more. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Then the next morning, at a, so we decide, this is what they're going to do. They're going to tape, tape the interview before the Today Show even begins. So now we're going to have to come in like an hour early than normal to tape this just to make sure I don't say the name Alan Myers. And, and I'm, the whole time I'm thinking this is a stupid, I can't believe I'm even doing this. I should cancel the damn interview. But I don't even know if I have any other options. I've come so far on this. I don't, you know, I have no leverage at all because of the nature of the subject matter and because I'm not a celebrity. So I, I sorry, right, I'll go through with it. They changed the, the, the rules on me again on the way from the hotel to 30 Rockefeller Center. Matt Zimmerman changes the rules on me again in the limousine. In fact, he's still changing the rules on me literally as I'm exiting the limo to enter 30 Rockefeller Center where the Today Show studios are. And it's all clearly by a strategy, right? They know that, you know, it's kind of like uh, putting a frog in hot water. The, the frog doesn't realize the water's too hot until he's dead. It's basically that they just wanted to make sure they got my ass in the studio so that they didn't lose the interview that they had promoted. But they, they figure, you know, well, Ziegler will go for it in the end anyway because he's got no choice because they know I have no leverage. I mean, they, this is all a game. That's what this is. It's all a game. At one point, I even leave 30 Rock. I'm inside Rock 30 Rock. I leave 30 Rock to get back in the limo because I'm like, fuck it. I'm not doing this. This is, like, this is like, you know, 15, 20 minutes before we're supposed to, to tape this thing. And Matt Zimmerman is like begging me, please, please get back. And my job's on the line. Da, 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 da. I'm like, wow, oh, God. So I being, you know, one of the worst things about me is I'm, I'm not an asshole. So you can appeal to the nice guy, I mean, even though most people think I'm an asshole. That's the irony of, of John Ziegler. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very vulnerable to having the nice guy in me be appealed to. So I decide, okay, fine, whatever. I'll do this thing and do the best I can out of it. So I get told, and I'm, I'm getting to Lauer here because this is important. I get told exactly what I'm allowed to do with regard to describing this guy, Alan Myers. And, I, and effectively, I'm told... I can give his description, but I can only go so far because they're afraid if I give too much information, then I will have effectively outed him on the Today Show. So we do the interview, and Lauer, frankly, uh, does me wrong by uh, you know bringing up a whole bunch of bullshit that has nothing to do with why I'm there. Uh, you know, reading statements from people who have no idea, like lawyers of the accused and Scott Paterno, who have no idea what I'm saying. They have no idea what Sandusky said in the interview. They got no clue, but they're allowed to have their statements about me read on the air before I've even said anything. That's not the way this works. I get to talk first, which is what I should have said. But again, I was being taped, so I knew that was going to get edited out if I did. So we do the interview, and I do the under the circumstances. I mean, I, you know, I'm actually probably better under adversity than I am under prosperity. 
but uh, it's actually one of my proudest moments of my career because there, because there is not another human being on the planet that could have done as well in that interview as I did under those circumstances. I mean, I'm basically doing this interview with two hands tied behind my back. Uh, you know, one of my feet tied behind my butt, you know, with one eye closed, uh, you know, one ear blocked. I mean, I, I got nothing. And, and, and I'm already got two and a half strikes against me because of the subject matter. And I do as well as, as I could possibly have done. And one of the things I did perfectly was I rode the line of what I could say about Alan Myers to a T. To a T. I, I mean, I went right to that line, and I stopped, and I nailed it exactly what I was supposed to say, what I knew I could say, what I was told I could say. So I'm finishing the interview, and I'm not feeling... I'm not feeling good about it because I'm feeling, oh, this was a mistake. This is going to end up in a disaster. Uh, you know, my my critics are going to get everything they want. I'm not, I barely got, you know, half of what I wanted to say out. But again, under the circumstances, I'm not feeling that bad about it. Uh, and I'm, you know, I would prefer that the thing run rather than not run. Although, you know, in retrospect, it probably would have been better if the whole damn thing got killed because then it might have caused, caused some controversy. But see, I this is one of the many difficulties of dealing in this particular subject under normal rules. The today show canceling an interview like that would be huge freaking news. And it would give me all sorts of new options. But in this subject matter, I'm already the bad guy. And so nobody in the media has any incentive to take my side and go, what's this? Everyone's just going to presume, good for the Today Show for canceling the interview with that asshole Ziegler who, you know, <laughs> who thinks that Joe Paterno was not guilty. That's going to be the way it will go down. And so normally this would have given me options, but I had no options. So we're in the Today Show studio. They're getting ready to start the show live. Savannah Guthrie is on the desk. Matt Lauer's on the desk. And then all of a sudden, like three or four... You know, NBC lawyers scurry out of the the control room because apparently they've re they've looked at the tape and they're very concerned. And so they go over to Matt Lauer and I'm standing in the studio, but I'm not in on the conversation. So it's but it's clear they're talking about me because Lauer's about to go live on the air and they're bugging him about something and they've got great urgency in their body language. And so I'm like, oh shit, what's going on? So Lauer, to his great credit looks over to me, and he says, John, come over here. I'm like, oh, great. So I come over to the desk, and I say, what's up? And the uh, Lauer says, well, the lawyers want to talk to you. And the lawyers say, well, we think he, he said uh, too much. I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact uh, you know, wording. And I said, no, that's not what happened. And Lauer interrupts me and says, guys, I'm with John on this. He did exactly what you told him he was allowed to do. I'm, I'm saying we stick with it. We just go with it, and that's it. And the lawyers immediately shut the hell up and scurried away. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool, because Lauer had no real incentive at all at that point to back me up, because I knew I had done nothing wrong. And, you know, again, it's a small gesture, but in that situation, when you have no incentive to stand up for what was right and you do it anyway and you're Matt Lauer, that was a that was a, an indication to me, okay, this guy's not a complete scumbag because a complete scumbag would have handled that very, very differently. And that's partially why a year later, 
we end up doing the exact same situation, same subject matter on a different way when Dottie Sandusky and I have Matt Lauer come to her house and do a, an hour-long interview for the Today Show. That was when I came out and said, by the way, Sandusky's innocent, and it's not even close, and that's when Lauer declared my career to be dead. All right, so that's the, the backdrop for you know my interpretation of what's going on with Matt Lauer. If you listen to last week's podcast you may recall that I mentioned Matt Zimmerman, Matt Matt Lauer's right-hand man and booker. I did so because Matt Zimmerman was fired about two weeks before Matt Lauer was. Now, I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast, but I again, this goes to the second time this week. I'm going with the I told my wife uh, defense, but this one I'm, I'm positive I told my wife. I did say to my wife when I found out that Matt Zimmerman was fired, I said, uh-oh, Matt Lauer is going down. And the reason why I felt that way, I didn't have any inside information about any allegations of sexual abuse, but simply because there's no way, I knew enough about the relationship between Lauer and Zimmerman that there's no possible way Matt Lauer is letting Matt Zimmerman get fired over very vague allegations unless he's in trouble himself i mean if you think about this as royalty okay and and uh matt lauer sitting on on the throne he's the king and and uh matt zimmerman's his right hand man he's the head booker for all of nbc and the guy who controls everybody that gets on the today show and, and all the major nbc talk shows that's matt zimmerman so and i know they're very close personally so the reality is there's no way that the king is going to let matt zimmerman get the basically guillotine treatment to get his head chopped off unless there's only two ways matt is told matt zimmerman is totally guilty which what i read didn't indicate that because it was very vague and, and and to me seemed like not a big deal even if true or the second option is they're going after Lauer, that this is effectively a coup and that by getting rid of Zimmerman, it's a shot across the bow at Lauer. That was my perception. So when I woke up this week and <laughs> on Wednesday, find out that Matt Lauer has been fired, I'm both shocked and not shocked. I'm shocked by some of the allegations being thrown out, which I'm not sure necessarily are credible, but I'm not shocked that he's been fired because in my mind, it's already been set up that this is more of a political set of circumstances than an issue of sex abuse. And if you read the column that I wrote, again, you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com. One of the things I do is I go through all of these (laughs) just bullshit stories obvious bullshit stories that immediately came flooding out as soon as lauer got fired i mean it's amazing all these old clips and the the worst one was this story of did you know that matt lauer has a button under his desk where he can lock in anyone who's in his office as if he's running a sex dungeon Did you know that? And I'm like, seriously, people? Seriously? It's just flat out ridiculous. Um, Here's the facts. The facts are that 
Lauer was not the only person that had that button. Numerous people at NBC had that button. Lauer had a very large office. It's a, simply a matter of convenience. you got somebody in your, your office with you. They're sitting down in front of you. The door's open. Instead of getting up, going around and closing the door and locking it, you just press the button, the lock, the door closes. By the way, it doesn't lock anybody in the office, okay? It locks people out, but they can knock on the door and if and Lauer can see who they are, and if you know the person is somebody he wants to talk to, he can open the door from his desk too without getting up and going to the door. But nobody is trapped in there. Nobody. But it's just amazing to me how, just to be clear, if if someone wanted to get out of his office that was in there, they simply go to the door and they turn the knob and it opened. All right. So this was all bullshit. But what's amazing to me is that once somebody gets accused of this, and they, especially if they get fired, and so they're so in the minds of most people, oh, they must be guilty. NBC would never fire Matt Lauer unless he was guilty of some really horrible stuff. Well, they thought the same thing about Joe Paterno, and that wasn't true because the world is changing, and the world of television news is changing really fast, and the circumstances surrounding. Television news is changing very fast, and there's a political element to this, which I'll get to shortly, and which I wrote about in the article. But the reality is it's scary to me how people, especially in the news media, will now buy anything once that person has been fired. Now they no longer have the power, by the way, to help anybody in the media or to attack anybody in the media. Uh, their credibility is shot. They have no future uh, you know, to, to, to speak of. And the reality is that we will just believe anything. I call it the Loch Ness Monster Effect. And this Loch Ness Monster Effect, I am becoming more and more sure of, and it's having a massive impact on a lot of stories. Here's the Loch Ness Monster Effect. Before anyone thought there was a Loch Ness Monster, like before anybody thought Matt Lauer was this horrible, sex-abusing rapist, before, before that, when there was a ripple in the water in the Loch Ness, it was a ripple in the water. When there was a shadow in the water, it was a shadow in the water. When Katie Couric goes on Andy Cohen's highly sexually charged television show on Bravo and says that Matt used to pinch her ass a lot, that's all that was. It was just a freaking joke on Bravo. But now once there's a Loch Ness Monster and everyone believes there's a Loch Ness Monster, the ripples in the water and the shadows, ooh, that's far more sinister now. We've now we're have now we now seeing that through a completely different prism, just like we are the ridiculous Katie Couric story, the ridiculous story of the button under the desk to close the door, and a whole bunch of other stories that are similar to this, which I directly address in this column that I wrote for Mediate. And so I'm not buying... Most, if if maybe not all, of the media bullshit that has been spewed about Matt Lauer, uh, I have some inside information about what's really going on here. I feel very confident that the the article that I wrote, the column that I wrote, is is based in very sound logic and is consistent with the facts. And here's what I think really happened. All right, here's what I think really happened with NBC and Matt Lauer. I cannot prove this, and I'm fully convinced that. This will not be accepted as the truth. In fact, that's in the headline of the column for Mediate. 
But I'm confident this is the truth. In case you're one of those people that still, you know, one of the five people in America that still cares about the truth. Uh, here, here's what I think is going down. I believe that the president of NBC News, Noah Oppenheim, was very, very vulnerable on this issue of the sex abuse because he killed the Ronan Farrow, Harvey Weinstein story for NBC. That's a fact. He killed it. It's not coincidental that he killed that because he's a screenwriter who's been wanting to get back into Hollywood movies. And he had actually just eaten dinner with Weinstein at a gala, I believe in Los Angeles, during, just prior to this time period. And so my supposition, my, my conjecture, although it's more than just conjecture, is that Oppenheim killed the Ronan Farrow story because he didn't want to lose an ally in Harvey Weinstein. That's, that's what happened here, okay? And so when Farrow goes to the New Yorker and that blows up, now Oppenheim is in real deep trouble. Because first of all, he's lost his ally in Harvey Weinstein anyway <laughs> to get to Hollywood. And number two, he is going to be seen as a guy who protected Weinstein. So now the witch hunt is very likely to turn back on him. So what's he going to do? Well, in, if you're in a situation where the witch hunt might turn on you, you need to be way out in front on this issue in a very big way so that you're not vulnerable to being burned at the stake. And what I believe happened is that Right as Weinstein was going down, once this, as this controversy reached, you know, in inferno levels, that what NBC did was that they decided they were going to finally enforce technical rules within their human resources handbook in what might have been an arbitrary and politically motivated fashion. And what I mean by that is this. Technically, when you have an affair with a coworker, at NBC, and this is not unusual, this I think is fairly common, but I know it's the case at NBC, you are technically required to inform the company of that. Now, let's be serious. <laughs> the reality is, especially if the affair is extramarital, you're not going to inform anybody about this. You're and you're not going to inform your employer about it. And by the way, if you're Matt Lauer, you don't think you need to because you're Matt Lauer. You might not even think you need to do that if you're Matt Zimmerman because you're, you're in a position of power. You're having your butt kissed every day. So what ends up happening? NBC goes back through old situations which are now coming forward because of the new environment. So now the, the rules have changed, and now women are coming forward to say, oh, by the way, I had an affair with such and such. And maybe they mistreated me because, you know, because that's never happened before. And if an affair ends, somebody thinks they got mistreated. That's, that's the first time in human history that's ever occurred. So NBC is going back in time and retroactively saying, hey, did you uh, inform us of this affair you had back in X whatever year it is? Well, the answer was no, which in the pre-Harvey Weinstein era would have been, okay, just don't let that happen again. In the post-Harvey Weinstein era, where Noah Oppenheim is in big trouble, that's a fireable offense. That's a scalp for him to protect himself. 
I believe that's what happened to Matt Zimmerman, and I believe that's what happened to Matt Lauer. I believe that what happened here is that in 2014, Matt Lauer had an extramarital affair while covering the Olympics in Sochi. I don't know how long that affair occurred, or went on for, but I think it went on for, and my guess is it went on for a little while. Who knows how it ended, but these things rarely end well. So there's at least some animosity on the part of the female there because Lauer is still married. And now the Harvey Weinstein thing changes the world. And I think that that woman goes to NBC and says, um, yeah, I need to inform you that uh, Matt Lauer and I had an affair back in 2014 while we were on the job uh, covering the Olympics in Sochi, which in the past NBC might have gone, okay, thank you for letting us know that. We'll take care of this, no problem. But now the rules have all changed. The circumstances have changed. She shows them a text that uh, Lauer, and this is informed, informed speculation on my part, she, she shows them a text that Lauer sent them or sent her during this time period. It's clearly sexual. That's enough proof for them. Lauer uh, did not disclose the affair to NBC. Now they got him by the balls. Now they can fire him. Now, a lot of people think, well, why would NBC do that? He's a cash cow. He's their star. What you're not understanding is that the world has changed. You're not understanding is that Matt Lauer is getting too much money. Matt Lauer is being paid uh, based upon a business model that no longer exists. No one is watching television anymore, and they're not watching commercials anymore. Matt Lauer is a relic of a completely different era of the television news star. And I believe that part, part of what's going on here, whether it's Bill O'Reilly or Charlie Rose or Matt Lauer or people like them, is that these people are being ousted because it's the, the companies and the networks have decided, you know what? They're not worth it. They're not worth the money. They're not worth the hassle. They're not worth the potential lawsuits or the settlements or what have you. And I think that's what happened with Lauer. I think Lauer got thrown under the bus. And, you know, to me, one of the perfect proofs of this and one of the most bogus narratives that's come out of the, the Lauer story is that, oh, it's the old open secret canard. You know, we've heard, I mean, how many times have we been hearing that? Now, with Weinstein, I think it probably was an open secret. But it's not an open secret when, when Lauer gets fired. And people are so bad at being able to determine self-interest. It's really amazing to me how bad people are. I, I, maybe I'm just good at it, but I just think most human beings are horrible at it. Take a look at the self-interest of Savannah Guthrie and Kathy Lee Gifford and Noda, whatever the hell her name is. Uh, on the Today Show on that Wednesday morning. They are women, which obviously they've got to, you know, show how pro-women they are, right, by being pro-victim and anti uh, the person who's accused of any sort of harassment or whatever the hell the allegation is. And one of the many problems here is that everything under the umbrella of harassment is now being referred to as assault or even rape, and we're we're losing our, our damn minds. But I digress. So they're all women. Lauer now has no power. In fact, he has reverse power. He's toxic. He's nothing but a problem for them, right? So he can do nothing for them in the future. He has, there is no incentive to support Lauer at all. If Lauer was an open secret that he was causing problems for women, he was harassing women, forcing women to, to perform oral sex on him in his office, just dropping his pants or 
even somehow assaulting or raping women, if any of that was remotely true, trust me, everybody at the Today Show would know about it. It's a family. It literally is a family. I've been, I've seen them interact. It is a family. There is no chance, none, that any of those women would have done what they did when they went on the air with no notice on Wednesday morning. They were all in tears. They were all in shock. They were all as supportive of Lauer as they could have possibly been under those circumstances. Yes, they did the, oh, we were so proud of our brave colleagues who came forward, which, by the way, what, what are their names? What, what are the names? Is, is no one worried that Matt Lauer can be brought down in 24 hours without the name of one person making any sort of an on-the-record allegation against him? Is no one afraid of that? That someone of his stature in 24 hours can go from the face of NBC News and the king of the Today Show to being toxic without one name being attached to any sort of allegation, not even to an affair. That should scare the living shit out of you. I don't care who you are, what your gender is. That's unbelievable. That is incredibly frightening. But, okay, so let's go back to the to the Today Show female hosts. There is no way they react that way if this was even close to an open secret. If this was even close to an open secret, here's what their response is. <sighs> After a very, very long reign of terror, we are, you know, we are... Very happy to tell you that finally Matt Lauer has been deposed as the king of the Today Show. I'm, I'm so sorry that, that it's taken so long. And let me tell you about my personal experience. There was nothing close to that. In fact, the only person that came even remotely close was, of course, Megyn Kelly, who just came to NBC three minutes ago and makes everything about her. And I even predicted on Twitter, she's going to say she knew something. <laughs> Well, because that's her stick now. Whenever there's a new revelation, yeah, actually, I knew about this. I never said anything about it. But now that it's safe for me to say it, now it's in my self-interest to say it, I'll say it. Well, surely she she actually, after her show, said that she had heard rumors about Lauer. Well, what does that mean? I guarantee she heard rumors about Lauer. She had heard rumors about Lauer cheating on his wife, which I'm not going to defend. It's wrong. It's immoral. It's inappropriate to have affairs with coworkers. But is it fireable? Is it worthy of destroying somebody's entire life and career over uh, without anyone's name attached to it, without any specifics? I got a problem with that. And by the way, one other aspect of this that people aren't appreciating. People presume that Lauer, well, he's having affairs with coworkers because he's using his power as the you know, the host of the Today Show and being a mega celebrity, he's forcing them into sexual relations with him. No, that's not how it works. And that's not why Bill O'Reilly was similar. Giving Bill O'Reilly some benefit of the doubt. There's a re- the reason why these guys are having affairs with coworkers is not necessarily because they're using their power over them, although it's clear that the women are probably attracted to them partially because of their power. That's a a big part of this equation no one wants to acknowledge for some reason, even though it's been the reality of human history since the beginning of time. But here's the real reason that no one wants to talk about. 
the reason why the Matt Lowers of the world are having affairs with people in television is those are the only people who have access to Matt Lauer. These people live in a bubble. And I know this personally because I've been in television, I've been in radio, and I'm in one one ten thousandth, maybe one one hundred thousandth of the bubble that Matt Lauer was living in. And even in my existence, there's a bubble effect. These are the people you're inter- interacting with. You have no interaction with anybody from the real world. You have the same interests. You're in the same place. And it's even more dramatic in television and the media than it is in the normal workplace because you've got the distinction between on-air talent and off-air talent. So the on-air talent, it's, it's like their, their own species. And so you only... You, you only procreate or have you only fornicate with your own species. That's really what it's like. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. So there's a whole lot of crap that's being thrown out about Matt Lauer. And again, I'm somebody who I should I should have a grudge against Matt Lauer. I really should. But I think as you if you know me at all, you know I don't give a shit about whether or not I like a person. I don't give a shit about whether or not they've been good or bad to me. I'm all about the truth. And I don't think the truth has been uh, remotely, remotely told about what really happened with Matt Lauer. So check out that column at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Similarly, last week during the uh, podcast in our special hour number three, I referenced that there was a a similar injustice going on with Greg Schiano, who was going to be the head football coach at the University of Tennessee. And that got torpedoed because of his alleged inner inner uh, action with um, the Penn State Sandusky scandal which uh, was non-existent and that's not that's not my opinion that's not an exaggeration that's just a fact it was non-existent I mean this guy ends up losing that job and the University of Tennessee athletic director ends up losing his job in large part because of this unbelievably completely it's just flat out ridiculous controversy because Mike McQuery had mentioned a rumor that was told to him by another assistant coach named Tom Bradley about a rumor he had supposedly heard that Greg Schiano had some sort of knowledge about Jerry Sandusky's abusive boys let's be clear both Schiano and Bradley completely denied it emphatically McQueary, by his own acknowledgement, never had one conversation about this with Greg Ciano. Greg Ciano and Mike McQueary never coached together. Ciano was gone from Penn State five years before McQueary ever coached there. His allegation makes no damn sense. There's no proof of it. He did it in a civil trial deposition, not a criminal trial testimony. And in that civil trial deposition, which was an insurance case, he McQueary had a massive self-interest to make shit up about Penn State, and he ended up getting millions of dollars because of it as part of his whistleblower lawsuit against Penn State. I mean, you can't make up just how bogus this controversy was. It was so bogus that even some of the most anti-paterno media members acknowledged how bogus it was, but it still didn't help Shiano. That's how toxic this story is. People are getting torched by it years later who didn't even have anything to do with it. So you wonder how my life is when I'm bathing in it on almost a daily basis. My, 
<laughs> I mean, Matt Lauer was right. I'm torched, but my skin is asbestos at this point. So it's. It, I wrote a column about that for Mediate. Again, you can find that at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Speaking of college football, I do want to mention one thing about the college football playoff, which got announced uh, this week, or actually today on Sunday. And the big controversy was who would get the fourth spot, uh, Alabama or Ohio State. And they went with Alabama, who I do believe is a better team than Ohio State, although Ohio State's uh, resume, I think, was a bit better than Alabama's. But here's, here's what uh, I really want to say about this, and this uh, is important not just from a sports standpoint, but because I think it goes to the way that human beings have flaws and the way they think and how we're really, really, really bad at understanding the law of unintended consequences. Because of this controversy, I'm seeing a lot of people now saying, well, we need to expand the college football playoff from four to eight or 16. And I get why that's attractive to people because they think, well, you know, that would eliminate the controversy over you know, who, gets the, who gets the fourth spot. Well, no, it wouldn't because there's always going to be a controversy. It's just a matter, okay, if you go to eight, it's going to be who gets the eighth spot. If you go to 16, it's going to be who the 16th spot. That's always going to be the case. But what really pisses me off is that no one wants to sit down and actually do the math on what an eight or a 16-team playoff would look like. It would completely destroy the entire system. It would be logistically impossible, especially during the holidays, during exams, during bad weather, with having only five or six days to plan where you're going to play games, how you're going to get your fans there. And this is not basketball, okay? Basketball travels with a couple of thousand people. Football travels with tens of thousands of people. You can't move that many people over the holidays on five or six days' notice. Not to mention, you do have these kids supposedly going to class. I know, ha, ha, ha. And, I mean, you're, you're going to destroy the rivalry games, which are normally the last week of the season. You're going to destroy the conference championship games because now the losers of those conference championship games are actually still going to get into the playoff. In fact, you're going to have situations like what happened with Alabama this year. If you go to 8 or 16, you're going to have teams trying to avoid their conference championship game because it's a pain in the ass and it's a chance for someone to get hurt. People think I'm crazy when I say that, but it's true. If the playoff is everything, and now that's, that's what the world we're living in now, is the playoff is everything. Take a look at Alabama, even under the four-team four scenario. Alabama benefited from losing to Auburn and missing out on the SEC championship game because they were all banged up. They got linebackers hurt everywhere. Well, now they get the week off. Now, <laughs> and they still make the playoff. They don't have to play in an SEC championship game. Who knows who could have gotten hurt there. And now they get a whole month to rest up before they play in the playoffs. And that hits at the heart, at the heart of a sport. When you kill the incentive to win, you, got, you don't have a sport anymore. Now, Alabama didn't know that for sure. So it's not a big deal when it's four teams. But if it's eight or 16, guess what? Alabama would have known that. If you got an eight or a 16-team playoff, Alabama would have known damn right well that Auburn game not only doesn't matter, it's actually better if they lose because then they don't have to play an SEC championship game, but they're still going to get into the playoff. And seedings in football aren't going to make enough of an incentive to change people's perspective. 
because it, it, the games are played regionally. There's not enough games to know for sure who the best teams are. This is not like the NBA where no one wants to play the Golden State Warriors. All right, It's not the same deal. Not to mention, it doesn't really matter if you play a team in the first round or the second round, whatever. So there's all sorts of problems with the 8 and 16 team playoff format. I, I, I fear we're going to end up going there because it would probably make money in the short run, but it would kill the regular season. It would kill the rivalries. It would kill the conference championships. It would create effed up incentives, and it's logistically impossible. So if you're <laughs> if you're one of those people that believes in that, please think it through because it's asinine. All right, uh, speaking of football and why this hour number two is different than what I had hoped it would be, um, I've mentioned many times before that I have had a a very strong connection to the Steubenville High School football team in Steubenville, Ohio. And the the reason why this has been relevant over the last couple of years is because Steubenville uh, High School got embroiled in another fake sex abuse cover-up media narrative narrative that was totally bogus. This uh, blew up in late 2012, early 2013. And incredibly long story short, I was once a TV sportscaster in Steubenville, Ohio. I once spent an entire year with the high school football team there, the Steubenville Big Red, Steubenville High School Big Red, to write a book called Dynasty at the Crossroads. They still have the same head coach all these years later. His name is Reno Sakash. Reno and I uh, at times got along really well, and, 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 but ended up very, very poorly when I wrote the book. I don't know why. I think he felt like he needed to come out against the book or whatever, even though the book was incredibly not only accurate but very complimentary of him. Uh, I've spent a ton and ton of time with Reno Sukkosh under some very difficult circumstances. And we had a falling out because of that. And we didn't talk for many years. And then we got back in touch, like in, I don't know, I think he saw me on television one time and called me in like 2008 or 2009, something like that. So, you know, time heals all wounds type of deal. And then when the firestorm broke out over him being accused wrongly of conducting a, a cover-up, my instinct was, first of all, this can't be true. Second of all, he's not prepared for what he's in for. Number three, I got to try to help. Because I, I have fondness for the city of Steubenville because that's all they got is high school football there. It's a, it's a town that uh, it shrunk dramatically. It was the home of Dean Martin and Jimmy the Greek, and it was a steel town. It was known for gambling and prostitution. Charles Grodin actually lost his virginity to a prostitute there. <laughs> That's a hell of a trivia question. But the point is, Steubenville is an interesting town. It's, a, it's definitely uh, from a bygone era, and, um, and it shrunk dramatically because there's no steel there le- anymore. But the one thing they still have is the high school football team. And uh, Reno has turned out to be uh, one of the most successful coaches in the history of the state of Ohio. In fact, I believe he's 10 games away from being the all-time winner in the history of the state of Ohio. And Ohio is where there's real high school football. Anyway, I did everything I possibly could to try to help Reno survive uh, this uh, firestorm. I went to Steubenville twice. I was getting him ready to go on the Today Show with Matt Lauer. Uh, We actually did practice interviews um, he decided at the last minute not to do it. Uh, I thought he was crazy. It turned out he was right, that he was able to somehow survive this under precarious circumstances. In fact, there were moments when I thought there was no chance he was going to survive. I was in his living room with him watching television alone when his, his buddy, the superintendent of schools, said on the local TV station, this TV station I used to work for 25 years ago, that he has no confidence in Reno Sukkoch being the head coach. 
We're like, what? What is going on here? Well, the next five years since then has been an unbelievable journey, an incredible story of perseverance through adversity that I never thought was possible. It's a story of, of Reno somehow not only overcoming that, but also a different world in which we now live where coaches are held to a very, very, very politically correct standard, which I can't believe he's been able to navigate because he's the most politically incorrect guy on the planet. Uh, not to mention he's, he's an asshole. I mean, he, I've always, always, always known he, he's, he's an interesting character to me, though, because he's an asshole, but he's got a big heart. Uh, he's brilliant in some ways. He's a complete fucking idiot in others. He's, um, uh, you know, he's somewhat savant-like in some, some ways, and in other ways he's one of the dumbest people I've ever met. <laughs> um, he's not remotely capable of having you know, created a cover-up for sex abuse, and there's no evidence that he did. In fact, the evidence is dramatically the opposite of that, and, the, and prosecutors have said that that's not uh, what happened here. Uh, but he's, he's a hell of a coach, and, you know, I have been rooting really hard for Steubenville and for him to survive this because I didn't want his whole career and legacy to go down the toilet over something he didn't do, no matter how much he may have screwed me in the past. This goes back to me not caring about <laughs> whether I like somebody. I'm about justice and the truth. And if I see a fire and I'm the only person that can put it out, I run in there. And I, I wrote, I don't know, five or six columns for the local Steubenville paper during this whole thing, trying to correct the, the record and... I did everything I possibly could to try to help him. And the last two years, they somehow made the state championship game again. And winning a state championship in Ohio is a big stinking deal. And uh, they lost both times by a very small margin. And I, I was really disappointed because I thought, wow, that would be the ultimate vindication for this whole thing, the ultimate F you to the news media, you know, that Steubenville could not only survive, but Reno would end up winning a state championship after Deadspin had put at the top of their website one day, fire this asshole with a picture of Reno. And I called Reno. I said, Reno, have you seen Deadspin? And he says to me, what the fuck is Deadspin? By the way, Deadspin got the asshole part 100% right. They just got the whole case totally wrong, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's an asshole, but he doesn't deserve to be fired because none of this is true or real. Anyway, so... Uh, this year, Steubenville went undefeated and went to the state championship again for the third straight year, and yesterday they won. And I was so excited, and I was particularly excited because, and this just shows you how what a small town Steubenville is and how weird my life is, uh, one of the kids who plays a, a pretty key role in the team is the grandson of a mutual friend of Reno and I, a guy by the name of Dr. J.J. Macedonia, who uh, was a very prominent doctor in Steubenville, but who died of a heart attack in 19, I think, 97. And, you know, there's only two people I've lost in my life who I miss on a regular basis, my mother and J.J. And J.J. and I were very close, and J.J. and Reno were very close. In fact, uh, we all... <laughs> Funny story, the only man I've ever slept with in a bed was Reno Sukosh because uh, there was only one bed available when J.J. Reno and I went to South Bend, Indiana to go visit with Lou Holtz when he was coach at Notre Dame because he, Lou Holtz was going to write the forward for my book. So I spent an entire night uh, spooning with Reno's hairy back. Uh, <laughs> well, that's another story for another day. But the point of this is, so here, here's, here's how weird uh, this, these set of circumstances are. So J.J.'s grandson, and by the way, also the grandson of a woman who I consider my surrogate mother, Diane uh, Macedonia, is on the team. He's also the son of my 
former girlfriend when I was in Steubenville and my former television partner in Steubenville. So we've got the grandson of the two people I'm closest to from Steubenville, the son of my former girlfriend, the son of my former TV partner. And of course, Reno's still the coach. And boy, I wish JJ had been around to be able to see his grandson help Reno win a state championship after surviving this media firestorm, because that would have been fucking awesome. So anyway, um, you know, all this time I've been, uh, you know, in contact with Reno, but trying to keep him alone, uh, uh, you know, keep, keep him from being bothered. But I, I said before the game, I said, look, um, can I get you on the podcast on Sunday? I really want to talk to you about this. And he's like, we got to win first. I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. And, uh, of course they win. And I said, uh, all right, look, pick a time Sunday from one thirty to four, uh, you know, your time, whenever you want to do it, we'll do it. He goes, well, it's gotta be only about the team. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. He doesn't want to talk about the whole scandal thing, but I said, I want to talk about the journey and how you got here and, and you know what it means to the town and the kids and what we can learn from from your experiences and blah 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 and so i'm thinking we're we're set to go but i also know reno really well i know reno is going to fuck with me i know that he's going to jerk me around because he's an asshole and that's what he does he's a bully and so if he feels like he can jerk you around he's going to jerk you around and so sure enough uh he jerked me around and uh, he was scheduled to be the, the guest on the, uh, the podcast uh, today for hour number two. And his story, after I said, hey, Reno, you know, go fuck yourself. Uh, I can't believe you did this because, you know, all you needed to do, if you couldn't do it, just let me know. Just let me fucking know that you can't, you've changed your mind, you've pushed out, whatever it is. Uh, and and he, he seemed to give me via text some sort of, best I can figure is, and there is some plausible, as dumb as he is, there's some plausible uh, logic behind this. I told him Sunday, and he said, well, I thought you meant tomorrow. And I'm like, Reno, today is Sunday. And I'm talking, wait a minute. He plays all of his games on Friday, but the state championship game was on a Saturday. He might have been thinking in his mind that today is Saturday because it's the day at, after the game. Well, for whatever fucking reason... He and I got into a a big fight over uh, via text, so he's not going to come on. <laughs> but what I am going to do now is I am going to release the videos uh, that I have been kept secret for uh, several years that of the interviews that he did with me about the scandal, which he, he said, uh, you know, I don't want you to release those until I say it's okay. Well, now, fuck you, Reno. I'm going to release those because uh, they, they need to be out there. They need to be in the public record because you're being a wuss and you're being a moron. And I'm glad you won the state championship. And I'm glad, you know, the student will have that to hang on through through the winter. And I'm glad your legacy is not going to be destroyed over something that didn't happen. Uh, but you're being an asshole. And you know, once an asshole, always an asshole. And so when you when you, here's the moral of the story, folks. When you realize someone is an asshole as an adult, that's it. There's, there's no going back. There will always be an asshole. There's never going to be a change. All right? There, maybe circumstances can change, but you always need to remember that. And, this, and the second part of that is no good deed ever goes unpunished. None. It is never worth it to go throw yourself into the fire for somebody else. Never. <laughs> if you're looking for anything other than you know, the solace of having done the right thing, you will never be rewarded and you will most likely be punished. 
That's what I have learned in my life. So uh, hopefully those lessons will be worth <laughs> worth my hardship. If, if you can get a little bit of, of edification about the way life works from my misfortune, then I guess it's not completely a waste of my time and effort. All right, that'll do it for uh, hour number two of uh, this week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, as always, I ask only two things of you. If you're, uh, first of all, if you do social media, Twitter, Facebook, please make sure you share it. Make sure you tag me. It's the only way people will find out about this. Uh, also share it via word of mouth. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, one, two, one, two.